Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. To the west of the great continent of Kern lies the island provinces of Perth, home to brave seafarers, exotic pleasures, storms of swirling magical energy, and cults dedicated to the old gods. Upon these white sands came the Eve's Watch, a band of sellswords and brutes seeking their fortune upon the shores of these lands. Let me tell you of this age of legends, for I and I alone am keeper of their saga. This is their chronicle. You are members of the Eve's Watch, a mercenary group of cell swords. You travel throughout Hymurin, picking up contracts, working your jobs, and then moving on to the next one. On this particular occasion, you've just finished a lucrative job out in the provinces of Prenagene. It was a bit of a thing with political rival that needed to be eliminated. So they were eliminated, which caused an even bigger problem. So now you find yourselves being pursued by some allies of that political rival that was eliminated. You've been pursued for the past few days as you're moving through the provinces of Prenagene down towards the Republic of Karovar. Today, they've seemed to make up a great deal of ground. They are hot on your heels. Your horses are frothing. At the mouth, there's noticeable sweat upon them, and they are tiring. Unfortunately for you, it doesn't seem as though you're going to have the opportunity to outpace them or lose them in any way. They're just too close. So you've decided to make a stand. You've dismounted from your horses, you've readied your weapons, and now this Prenagene cavalry is upon you. The riders dismount from their horses, they ready their weapons, and one gentleman who is clearly the leader approaches you. He stops about 20 feet away from you. He's got his sword still in the scabbard. And he looks at you and says, Eve's watch. Surrender your weapons. Do so peacefully. We will accompany you back to Los Vientos, where you will be tried. Do not make this harder than it has to be. Now his men have already removed their weapons from their scabbards, from their sheaths, their bows, from their backs. They've knocked arrows. They're ready. There's no no question in your mind whatsoever that they're prepared to take you by force if needed. Now, a surrender would most certainly mean a trial for murder. And although you're not native to the area, you're pretty familiar with the rules and murder, particularly of a noble, because that's what a political rival is in Prenagene, is going to result in hanging or beheading or any other terrible fate. What are you going to do? Duco says fight, kill them all. How many fellows? You are looking at 16 plus the leader who has not yet adopted a hostile stance. Tuco says run. We've been running. Do you realize you're assuring your men's death? You do not realize that at all, sir. You realize you seem to be overconfident. This doesn't have to result in bloodshed. We could come back, thus civilly stand trial, and perhaps walk away free men. That's a lot of trouble for doing something we already have now. Then do you wish to engage in combat? Do you wish to become part of the Eve's Watch repertoire of past defeats? Don't you mean trophy list? How far away are they, are they from About us? About 20 feet. Tuco notches an arrow and fires. I'll still run the charge. Well for a name. 
Does Tuco's attack count as surprise? Well, if you've knocked an arrow, it's obvious what your intent is. So no. Question, Thank you. who's keeping uh, initiative list or order? I'll do it. Actually, you know what? What we did last year was we just did round robin. I don't problem. Well, yeah. there's a problem with Marcus and yes. his ability. Ah, uh, okay. Then let us proceed. Just give me a moment to make the list. I'm going to ask for your initiative orders in order of starting the coup. 22. Lowback. I rolled a d10. I don't know why. Old, old habits die hard, I guess. Your intelligence is what, 8? Uh, that'd be a 21. You're pretty close. Tuco is a 13. Shin? 16. Mule? 7. Gio? 2. GM? 16. First in initiative order is Ku. Ku, 16. 17, including the leader. And you're all within 20 feet. Roughly. Probably be able to end this quickly if we took out the leader. So I'm going to move forth and attack the leader. That's going to be a 10. Yes. That was an unarmed strike. Second strike, uh, flurry of blows. Miss and miss. What'd you roll? An 8 and a 7. Next in initiative is Lovac. I'm going to cast Hunter's Mark on the leader and step forward drawing my sword, saying, well, I warned you, the death of your men are upon your soul. And I, if I'm close enough to engage, I will do so. About 20 feet away. Then I will engage. And that's going to be a miss. Tuco releases an arrow for a 21. And your attack is going to... Oh, the leader. The leader. So you draw your arrow back. Tuco adopts a very upright stance, similar to what you would see from like Japanese, a samurai using his bow, you know, chest extended, arms back, lets an arrow fly. Your arrow finds its mark in the leader. Roll your damage. Damage 3d6, five, plus six, plus two, 13 points of damage. Plus four, plus four, so 17 points of damage. The arrow uh, whistles between Ku and Lovak and finds its mark in the shoulder of the leader, taking him somewhat off guard, his eyes grow wide, not expecting to have been shot, putting most of his attention on his assailants. Next in initiative order is GM and Shin, both at 16. The leader, who once you're up close, you notice that he is fairly low ranking. He looks like he's a, a sergeant or perhaps a lieutenant in, in the military. You're not entirely certain what it is, but he's not a very high ranking soldier, probably more like a sergeant just leading a small group of militia or city guards or whatever have you. He moves in on coup. He's got a short sword that looks somewhat like a gladius. So he dips in under your blows and jabs at you, trying to get up under your armpit with his gladius. And he hits you for AC 17. Just a question to clarify. I'm like three and a half feet tall, so he's really how tall is it's, he? A windmill strike kind of? He's not a tall man himself. He's probably about five foot seven. He raises his gladius over his arm and it's almost like an awkward upward chopping motion gotcha. as your fists are, are coming up towards him. He takes seven points of damage from his strike. And then he steps off to the left of you and adopts a bladed stance. The archers loose their arrows. There is a whistling of arrows that go through the air, raining down upon the party. Shin, nat 20. How much? Six points of damage, an arrow finds its mark in the meaty part of your hip. 
think it's a clear shot. It's gone all the way through. Uh, you can feel the tip of the arrow protruding out the back of that, like um, your love handle. Will this affect my movement? No. Perfect. Are they done yet? They are not done. Ah, okay. That was just four of them. Another five kind of move in on Ku and Lovak, trying to protect the leader of the group. They've got their swords ready. A couple have spears. <laughs> and a 16 will hit Ku. Yes. For seven points of damage, one of the uh, one of the spearmen comes in, catches you with the blunt end of the spear, and then wheels about and jabs you in the belly with the tip. He uh, steps back a few paces, kind of create distance between the two of you, and then readies his spear for another attack. The rest of the group charge in towards Jeel, Mule, Shin, and Tuko. So that's seven other soldiers. Jeel, you find two of the assailants on you, both hit with 17s. Okay. Take four points of damage and eight for a total of 12. They move in, these are swordsmen. One of them dips in with a low jab, cutting across the top of your thigh. The other one moves in and catches you in the side while you're distracted, trying to parry the blows of this other assailant. Mule, you are hit with a nat 20 for 12 points of damage. Another swordsman comes in and strikes you across the jaw with the butt of his sword and then slashes you across the chest. Backhanded movement. Shin, group of soldiers, begins to surround you. There's two of them. They dip in, thrusting their swords towards your chest. You were able to move out of the way, parry the blows they have missed. Dugo, you've only got one. He moves in, he launches a spear at you. You pivot your upper body as the spear goes by right over your shoulder. He draws his short sword and moves in. He is now facing you, but he has missed. I will bathe in your blood for that, fool. Shen, you have two of these Prenagene soldiers on you. It's very clear what their objective is. They have not hit you yet, but they are within melee range of you. So the first one that comes up, don't care which one, is getting a fireball. 11. 11 misses. You uh, ready your, what color are your firebolts? Red. Red. Dark, ruby, red. You conjure up the energy for your firebolt, drawing it from the very world itself. You can feel the energy come up through the bottoms of your feet, manifesting itself as a coldness in your hand that is almost burning. It's a swirling blue color that dances around your fingertips. And as it grows in intensity, it becomes a deep purple color and eventually becoming a crimson, almost sanguine red. And with a flick of your wrist, very slender bolt of magical flame erupts from your hand, flies over the shoulder of your first assailant. He must have caught you off guard with his kind of disjointed chaotic attack. Next in initiative order is Moulet. Are there any archers still on the field? There's four archers in total. Are they clumped fairly close together? They're, I wouldn't call it clumped. There's. Are, are they within 20 feet of each other? Sorry, are they, are they within 40 feet of each other? Yes, they're much tighter than 40 foot. You're anywhere from 10 to 15 feet, give or take. Okay. And are there any soldiers with their backs to the archers in that same distance? There's 
all of the soldiers okay. are with their backs to the archers. Okay. They've all moved in. Even right. the soldiers that have engaged with they were uh, they were they were all uh, within twenty feet of us. Okay. Yeah. All right. Give or take a few feet. All right. I'm gonna cast sleep. So I'm gonna call upon the eldritch power of nature and attempt. I'm gonna target the archers. I'm gonna use the bubble and include the, the, the back half of those soldiers as well, but exclude any party members. Okay. There's no save. I'm just gonna roll this because the dice down. All right. Thirty-four hit points worth are now sleeping. So that starts with the lowest hit point. You just subtract it as you go up. So however many, 34 hit points worth. So it's just that whole area. So anyone in that whole area. Correct. Yeah. Starting with the lowest hit points. Okay. 34 total or, total or anybody who... It's right. So if one guy has 10, he goes to sleep and then you've got 24 hit points I left. See, I see. Okay. Yeah. All right. You call upon the power of your patron. There is a ruffling of your clothing as this otherworldly energy begins to swirl around you. You can see, and you've seen this before, you know what it looks like. This is nothing new to you, but the reaction on people's faces is usually the same. There's this look of fear. Those that wield magic are few and far between, and those that wield this type of magic, there is a somewhat sinister reputation amongst those. There's swirling magical energy, uh, almost like delicate winds that carry what looks like shrieking faces upon it. It fades into almost a, a fog-like mist as your clothes ruffle around you. Then there is the ever slightest impact. People's hair is ruffled. There's like a breeze that passes across their clothing. And one of the archers goes down and two of the soldiers drop. For game purposes, they are unconscious, which means if you strike them within five feet, you do have advantage. Next in the initiative order is Geo. I mean, where, where around me, you said? There's two. So I'm going to rage and attack the one that hit me. I'll also be using Reckless Attack and Great Weapon Master. AC 16. That hits. 18 points of damage with them all. You've you've seen Geo lose his cool before. It happens quite a bit, actually, when he's drinking, when there's a perceived insult, especially in, in battle. And when we run out of apples. Yeah. <laughs> He gets very quiet. You can feel your vision narrowing. You get these blinders on. There's a laser focus on who your target is going to be. And there's this one Prenagene who's he's got salt and pepper hair. He's got a beard. And there's a look of fear in his eyes. It's almost as if he could see what's coming. Much like when a woodsman is splitting wood, Geel, who's of massive proportions, easily seven feet tall, because he's much larger framed, he looks even bigger. He raises this massive maul with a gigantic square head on it over his head and brings it down on top of the head of the unfortunate Prenagene soldier. There is a, a sound almost like uh, if you were to drop a watermelon on the ground, his head disappears. You don't know if it was splattered or if it was just driven so deep into its neck that you can't see it anymore. But there is a spray of blood, this sickening image of Jill having to wrench the head of the maul from the gap in the top of the body that it's buried in. And with that, yes, and I'm going to use my bonus action because I brought him to zero hit points. I'm going to attack the other guy. Didn't you rage? Is it rage bonus action? But this is from Great Weapon Master. If I bring oh, somebody down to zero, sorry. I get another attack. Sorry. 
21. AC. Is that dirty 21? Or yes, is that, it's yeah. dirty. It, yeah, it's a dirty 21. That's, that's a hit. 12 points of damage to the other guy. Seeing his friend obliterated by your blow, the other soldier turns and begins to run. He takes a step away from you. It's a pretty long stride. And as he's about to launch off the next stride, you do a low swing. Almost like when a child's learning how to play baseball, you know, and they do that kind of like cutting the wheat type of swing. Catch him mid-thigh. There's a a loud cracking noise, like almost as if a tree was snapped in half. The man flies awkwardly in this bizarre pinwheel type fashion into the air and lands motionless with his legs twisted and contorted almost like a chalk drawing at a crime scene. Jared was right. Rage is a bonus action, right. and the great weapon is also a bonus action, so you would only be able to rage. Okay. As usual, Lou gets about halfway down and goes, yeah, I like that part, and stops. <laughs> well, it's, it, I didn't read it inside the, the description. It says it like under my abilities. That's fine. We'll keep it the way it is. We'll just remember that next time. Next in the initiative order is Koo. The leader is within, still within five feet, so Koo is going to target him once again. He's gonna pull out his masterwork dagger and he's gonna attack with that first. What'd you roll, Frank? <laughs> rolled a seven. No, you rolled two. <laughs> then do another unarmed strike, flurry of blows. That would be a 12. 12 misses. That first attack was a dagger. Yes. You move in with a thrust of your dagger. The leader slaps your hand away almost as if you were an impetuous child. And you move in with Flurry of blows, throwing punches and kicks, blocks him with his knee or bats him aside with, with his empty hand, bats him aside with his sword hand and then stops and laughs and throws his arms open wide. This is the Eve's watch. These are the impressive cell swords. It's amazing you were able to kill a noble. Well, a blind man will find a fish, I suppose, or whatever the saying is. Ku will then spend his last key point to use Hand of Healing on himself for four points. A mystical hand, almost like an open palm attack from a monk appears and moves in onto your chest and disappears into your chest and there's like a scintillating glow that works its way up to your chin and then dissipates in a quick sparkle and feel much better. Novak is up. Well, perhaps you can be effective. It's unwise to upset the watch. That's going to be a 14. 14 minutes. Your target AC. That's with advantage. <laughs> How'd you get advantage? Because I have a hunter's mark. Oh, okay. Gives me advantage. Next up is Tuco. Tuco, having just been approached and swung it, does a backwards tumbling roll with his bow in one hand and an arrow in the other and uses his bonus action of cunning action to disengage so as not to draw an attack of opportunity, moves off approximately 20 feet and takes another shot at the leader. A 10 will not hit. It looks good though. You drop backwards, roll on your shoulder, your top knot bobbing and shuffle back approximately 20 feet, draw an arrow as you're shuffling, let it loose and you don't know if it was Lobak or Ku that were maybe a little too close that you ever so slightly changed your aim and the trajectory was off. But it does fly over his shoulder, catching his attention, and you can actually hear him laugh. He seems like a bit of a showboater. That's a perfect segue to GM is up. 
You still have the opportunity to surrender. I'll call my men off so they don't kill you. It appears as though you've gotten lucky, taking out a few of my men, but I'm sure we can last much longer than you. You will fall before my blade, fool. You have to hit me first. He moves in on Lovak, takes a swipe towards your head with his sword. You're able to lean back as the sword passes just under your chin. He shuffles back. Does a flourish. I'm not yet impressed by your abilities either. Ah, so a match of wits then. Good. I like this. First I'll dispatch your child, and then I'll take you, but slowly. So it's entertaining. I plan on just killing you outright. Shin. I have a 15 that will hit you. Yep. One of the soldiers moves in, swipes across your belly for a point of damage. The other one, as you step back, as his blade just cuts through your clothes and nicks your belly, moves in and hits you in the same location where you had the arrow strike. So you can feel the arrow break. Hits you uh, with an 20. You take four points of damage. You feel the arrow breaking. You can feel the wound open up even more. Do you know how much this shirt cost? <laughs> <laughs> And Rule. Rule, your two assailants move back in on you. There is a thrust from a sword that catches you for four points of damage across the thigh as your leg buckles. The other soldier moves in and hits you in the shoulder with a thrust ever so slightly. For two points of damage, you can feel the blade bite into your shoulder. It doesn't go in deep. You were able to move with the thrust so that the blade doesn't bury itself in you too deeply. But now you are bleeding quite a bit. And finally, Tuco. The other soldier that you rolled away from moves in, comes in for an attack. He moves in with several kind of clumsy thrusts that you're able to move your shoulders as you're going backwards to protect yourself from these thrusts, staying just inches away from a blow being landed on you. It's almost an awkward dance the two of you are doing on this battlefield. When I am done with your boss, I'll be back for you. And then the three archers. Geo, an arrow whizzes through the air, striking you in your thigh for two points of damage. Seemingly unnoticeable to you, almost like a pesty mosquito or a nuisance of a gnat. A very, ever so slight sting to your thigh. And that is the end of Shin is up. I turn and face the one that just slashed my shirt and that ever so expensive shirt, that handmade silk shirt. Absolutely. Your favorite shirt. And it was expensive. They're all expensive. I leap at him. I interact with object and draw a dagger and attempt to plunge it into the heart of the guy who just ruined my shirt. At the same time, I'm casting green flame. That's a 19. 19's a good hit. You draw your dagger, magical energy courses through the dagger. There is there's a deep crimson flame that erupts from it. And you plunge it into his chest as you draw yourself that's uh, five points of damage to him. And at the same time, a crimson bolt of energy jumps from him to the other person who didn't attack me for five points of damage. What's the damage again on that leaping flame? It's five on both. Five on both. Next up is Mule. So I'm down on one knee, bleeding profusely. And I just look up at the guy that hit me and grin, bloody dripping teeth. 
and so as he watches, I make a gesture with my hand and my teeth grow and elongate and sharpen, and I grin at him, and then I lunge up and try and bite him in the throat. That is at 19, so that's a 24 to hit. That'll do the trick. He takes eight points of acid damage. His throat bubbles as my teeth bite into him. Did you look up at him, and there's blood dripping from your face, and he looks down at you and he smiles because he's got you. And then you open your mouth, and he grins even wider, perhaps anticipating that you're going to beg for mercy. And then your whole lower face changes. Your mouth becomes bigger. You begin to sprout these jagged, crooked teeth, almost in multiple layers like a shark's teeth. There is a look of terror on his face. His eyes grow wide like saucers, and you, you leap at him. As you leap at him, your teeth begin dripping this green, viscous ichor, and you plunge your jagged teeth into his neck, and there is a sizzle and the scent of burning flesh. He begins to shriek, but the bite cuts the shriek off, and as you release, he falls back, grabbing at his this gaping wound in his neck, reflexively throwing his hand over it, and then shrieking as his hand begins to bubble and boil. And then I'll turn at the other one that was attacking me and grin. He turns around, he drops his sword. He's probably 18, 19 years old. He begins to run frantically. Where he once stood, there was a noticeable puddle of liquid on the ground. Next in the initiative is Jill. So there's two by Shin and one by Boule still? Yes. And their distances from me? We'd gauge that at probably between 10 and 15 feet, certainly less than 20. I'm gonna run over to where Shin's at and say, I got you, buddy, and try to hit the one that's furthest from Shin in the back with them all. My attempt is to try to knock him into his partner. And if you reckless attack again, rage and great weapon master, 13. 13 would miss. A gentle breeze passes by the backs of the enemy. Don't worry, Shin, I got you. We're back to the top of the initiative with Koo. I am no child. My people might look like children to you, but we are not children. Kusan Holt will pull out his other dagger and make two attacks against the leader. A 14 and a 21. Oh, the 21 is a good hit. So let's see, that'll be six points of damage plus five points of sneak attack damage for a total of 11. Move in with a, a dagger thrust and he slaps it aside laughing at you and you take the opportunity as he slaps your dagger hand away and thrust yours up into his ribs. He lets out a gasp, a bit of a shriek, and then steps back. It's actually more of a jump backwards, which causes your dagger to now leave his ribs. He's now noticeably wounded and bleeding profusely. Novak is next. Seeing this opportunity, I'm going to hopefully hit him. <laughs> so I will swing once again. That is going to be a 17. A 17 will hit. Okay, I'm going to use my ASMR abilities and use a Divine Strike. Call forth my Radiant abilities to add 2d8 to the damage. That's a total of 3d8. That's going to be 14 points damage. You reach skyward and to nothing, really. Clouds, birds, sky. And it's almost like you're pulling divine energy from the universe itself. And your limbs begin to glow with this divine energy. And you're using a weapon, 
right? Yes, longsword. And your longsword begins to be bathed in this as that glowing divine energy from the heavens begins to creep down your arms and into the hilt of the longsword and up into the blade. And there's almost a, a hum as you swing it through the air. It's like a tuning fork kind of hum and strike the leader across the chest, staggering him so he staggers backwards. He's not as pompous as he was. His kind of playful, taunting nature has now grown very serious. Still thinks this is a game, child? And just as he's about to answer, an arrow whizzes past his shoulder, past you and between you and Ku, and slams into the back of the head of one of the soldiers harrying Chin. And then there is another maelstrom of arrows that come, dropping three more of Rinagin's soldiers. And you hear the sound of horses, a war cry, and several dark-skinned riders dressed in bright colors and flowing silks, wearing leather armor and carrying broad-tipped spears and swords and short bows, begin to circle around the group of you, both you and the Prenagene soldiers. Several of them have arrows knocked from horseback, aiming at the Prenagenes. Has Tuco managed to become far enough from the group in his movement that he might be outside of this circle? No. A short moment later, a jet black stallion with a white mane appears from the forest with a a tall, when I say dark skin, like the color of a starless night. There's a, a man on top of it. He's very lean. He's like a lean muscular. Looks like he's extremely fit. He's wearing bright colors. He's got a pretty vibrant helmet. It's a silver helmet with several colorful feathers on it. He's got piercing blue eyes and you can see long white dreadlocks spilling out from underneath the helmet. Effectively, combat is stopped. He rides in like he owns the place, even though he's not even remotely from here. That's obvious the way they're all dressed. And he gets off his horse and walks through the circle of his horsemen, patting his soldiers on the thighs, kind of like in a sign of approval, scratches one of the horses under the chin and walks in, no weapons drawn, and says, stop this, these men are mine now. Lick your wounds, take your weapons and leave, or we will certainly kill you. We're getting a lot of that today. Have a nice day. I will see you again soon, I hope. Oh, no, 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 no. Not you. These men, meaning you, and he points to all of you, you are now mine. The Prenagines can go. Thank you very much. Define mine. Soon. We will talk in private once they are gone. Or dead. Whichever one it is they choose. Fair enough. Which one do you choose? Dead or going? Dead. Going. Good. They begin to sheath their weapons. The commander waves a finger over his head. The Prenagine soldiers begin to leave the circle. Don't forget your napping companions. Uh, they are asleep. Will you take them or shall we dispatch them for you? Oh, please leave them for me. As the soldier I was engaged with turns his back on me to leave, I draw my rapier and stab him in the back. He turns his back. There's a look of relief on his face when he takes a step back and turns away from you. You plunge your rapier into his back, through his chest, and he dies. The Prenagines are grabbing their sleeping companions and dragging them backwards as they begin to slowly awaken. And in a relatively short period of time, they're mounted back up on their horses and they begin to leave. The new leader of this new squad of soldiers, and there's about 15 of them total, waits a while. He's got a big smile on his face. 
takes a drink from his water skin. It is so cold here, don't you think? So cold. Let's get down to business. You're welcome, first of all. Why, thank you. Yes. Thank you, yes, indeed. For thank what? You. For what? He is funny, yes? He makes a joke. For saving your life, of course. That was undetermined. Well, do you have a leader? I hope it is not him, the one with the wise mouth. <sighs> Tubo turns to Moulet and says, Moulet, they Everybody want to talk to you. Everybody turns to Moulet. <laughs> yeah, I'll step forward with my... Just holding one hand over my bleeding chest. Yeah. This is a problem. It, it looks as though you are leaking everywhere. He snaps his fingers. Takama, come. Take care of our friend who is leaking all over the, the ground. And, and this one, too, with the wise mouth. He points to uh, Shin. It looks like he is leaking as well. But he does not need any of our help, though, right? <laughs> this is good. He um, has a sense of humor. I like this. So you are the leader, leaking one. What do you want? I cast a spell. What spell are you casting? healing. I'm spending the point to uh, make it go within a 30-foot radius so I don't have to be that close. I am going to heal my friend. As they look upon me, Shin mumbling and muttering in the background and waving his hands, my wounds begin to close and I stop leaking. Well, this is good. Be wise one. Couldn't have done that before though, no? He could oh, not have too busy. Not that it matters, but it's a nat 20. We were busy. I see. Well, what did you do to attract the attention of the military of Prenagene City? Tell me the story. It must be entertaining, yes? Yes, it is. Uh, for, forgive. Forgive my rudeness. They they weren't exactly military. I am Kushim. Kushim. Con, con, Kushim. Conscripts at best. Well, I have saved you from conscripts. Again, you are well. I am in the servitude of my queen, Mashapur. And so are you. Congratulations. He claps his hands. My queen. She has asked me to find this Eve's watch, and I found you. You did find us. My queen will pay you handsomely. Okay, so we're being hired. That's hired. that's fine. Yes. Well, yes, we would have killed you already. If hired, hired, not enslaved. There's a key, uh, key no, no, difference. No, 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 big difference. This job does not require the talents of a slave, but of professionals, though. It looks like they were bringing it to you quite hard. He looks down at the man with the crooked legs and then the one that's missing a head gives him a little kick they were getting it back in return i see a big one here he is the one that parted the man with his head oh there it is it's still in there a little bit we'll offer you safe passage we'll protect you till we get to the ports tuco pipes up what's the pay uh this is a discussion to have with my queen and not with me the passage Fair, to Perth. where ah to perth to the glorious city of Mazshapur. They have really, oh, we they haven't have been to really, Perth lately. Really nice Perth. clothing there. Very flowy colors. It's been a few years since we were near there. What time of year is it in Prenogy? That's seven points. It's fall. Tropical weather, everyone, as opposed to the coming winter? Of course. I prefer the tropics. I prefer the winter. I prefer to get paid. There's that too. I just need a good tailor. We have all of those things. We have mm -hmm. pay. My queen, she is women? very wealthy. Drink. Women. The most beautiful women in all of Hymurin are from Perth. Our women are known for their beauty. Then what are we waiting for? We yeah. were told the same let, things in the Goblin walk. Nation. You mount your horses. They form ranks around you, so you guys are in the center. Whose horse am I on? Because I'm not on my own horse, because I'm tiny. You can ride with me. Okay. Whose and horse is Geo on? One very unfortunate horse's <laughs> back. It's like one of those horses that tows the Budweiser wagon. He's <laughs> got a Clydesdale. <laughs> draft horse. Yeah, he'd have to have a draft horse. Mini Clydesdale. So your journey takes you through 
Prenagene for a few days, under a week, and you come to Prenagene's major port city, named after the country, Prenagene. Yes, Sin? I will not allow them to heal any of us. I will do all the healing in-house. Okay. Does anybody need to be healed? I could use some healing. I think everybody in the party Over three healing. days, it'll get done. I wasn't touched. Tuco needs no healing. And I will do myself last. All right, if Koo needs healing, I'll do it on, on the horse. When, you, when you're mounted up, I'll just put my hand on your shoulder and use laying of hands and transfer points until I see the wounds heal. In a few days, you make it to Prenagene City. They lead you. It's a pretty rigorous journey. They weren't fooling around. They were really beaten feet to get there. You were probably a week's travel from there. You made it in a few days. So you were going at a pretty good clip. They were really pushing the horses. And as you get to the ports, you see a large sailing vessel. It sticks out from the rest. The Prenagene sailing vessels are very much so like the old English or Spanish or Portuguese sailing vessels of old. These are these long, slender, elegant ships with one large sail in the middle. Brightly colored. This one has a parrot on it in bright colors. There's a, a bunch of sailors on there, men and women alike. They cheer when they see Kushim and the other soldiers coming. And there's some horns. It's like a big fanfare. They bring their horses and you on there. The ship take the horses from you and bring them below decks. On our three days of travel, Tuco would of course try to engage some of the soldiers in conversation around the evening meal. Tuco not being the most charming fellow you ever met, probably was not super successful, but was he able to glean any information about our possible future from these soldiers? Do they have any idea what's coming at us? The soldiers don't. It's obvious the soldiers are just there soldiering. Uh, they're all very friendly. They talk to you nonstop. They're always laughing. They eat very well. There's uh, usually a large communal meal around the fire. Then Tuco would try to make as many friends as possible amongst them. It is very easy amongst these soldiers. They're not standoffish. They're, they're quite friendly. They're out. It's a good kind of vibe you get from them. They talk to you at great length about any number of things, about birds, the wildlife. Some of the younger ones are talking about, you know, the women and the wine. Those are the ones Tuco would hang out with. Yeah. How would they treat me as a Kopi? Oddly enough, they don't seem really bothered by your presence. They are pretty friendly, even to you, which which is refreshing because nobody likes Kopi. You're seen as a nuisance. It seems they don't really know how to take you because occasionally, you know, one or two of them will get up, especially the older soldiers, and they'll ruffle the top of your hair. There's a couple that offer you like sweets. You know, you're almost childlike in size and appearance, but you're not a child. That's obvious the way you talk. You have a kind of sinister bearing. So they treat you like an adult or they treat you like a child, but they're generally friendly. And you have a lot of bright, shiny things. Shin? Not anymore. I offer my services to you, Captain. I'm a healer. Uh, can you point me to your infirmary? We don't have an infirmary. No one is infirmed. To several people that we injured that came back, you just dumped them in the sea? What people we injured? We injured no one. Oh, okay. We killed them. You cannot administer healing to the dead, and they were several days behind. All you can glean from the captain, this regiment, is that the queen has a job for you, and she's heard good things, and specifically gave him orders to go find you and get you no matter what. That's okay. We've been summoned for jobs in a similar way before. Uh, you will be well compensated, very well taken care of. I can assure you of that. You will have the most lavish 
of accommodation. This is much better than the time we were put in chains and dragged. Yeah. All of those times that you were put in chains (laughs) and dragged were, were a real downer. If the party gets an opportunity to find a moment alone, I would try to give a head bob. Tuco would try to see if I could get a few members of the party alone to try to discuss... You know, we haven't talked about this yet. Yeah, you're not guarded. You're not like in a gilded cage. You have so, free roam of the vessel that, you know, come and go as you please on the ship. If I could get a quiet word with Moulet, who I see as our mastermind, if not our leader, he seems so very intelligent. I, I would say, Moulet, we seem to have volunteered yes. without much choice. Is there any thought of next steps here? Or are we just going along? I don't see what the purpose is of next steps until we know what we're in for here. Are we looking for escape from this at all? No. No. We're going along? Yeah. Okay. It's a job. Have you talked to the others? We finished the other job. Why would I talk to the others? They know this business as well as I do. Okay. And I give Mulea a thumbs up and I walk back to my drinking buddies. And you've got a pocket full of coin. It's a decent payday. Fortunately, you got paid before you were chased out of Los Vientos. That is the ideal situation. And fortunately, you still have your money, having not had the opportunity to spend it frivolously because you had to beat feet with a great deal of quickness. It is a relatively short journey to Perth. Perth not being that far off the coast of Prenagene or Carobar. As a matter of fact, the Prenagenes and the Perthans are notorious for having conflicts out in the open water over over trade routes. And sometimes you would swear just for sport, but there's always something going on between those two respective nations, ict when they're trading, in which case they seem to get along just fine as long as the prices are reasonable. And in time, you make it to the port of Majapur. You see Majapur appear. You hear it appear before you see it. There's this clamor upon the ship as someone uh, pulls down this long tubular device and says something in a language you don't understand. And then there's, there's a lot of cheering and beating of drums and slamming of spears on the deck of the ship. And then you see Mashapur here. It is a mountain effectively smack dab in the middle of the ocean with a large ring of land encircling it. There are it looks densely forested with jungle. There's several brightly colored birds circling the island. There's dolphins swimming alongside of the boat, leaping out of the water. It's the ugliest fish I've ever seen. The captain, Kushim, he, he approaches the group. Behold, Mashapur, the most beautiful of kingdoms in all of Perth. It is beautiful. And the greatest of rulers, a good queen. And then there's a whoop from the ship. They begin to coast in towards the port. When you get a little closer, you see the port, several docks. It's almost like a half a moon shaped bay that the ship pulls into. There's several other ships of this style, brightly colored. They're docked. There's other smaller vessels out in the bay and you can see other ships throughout, you know, the ocean. You can see quite a distance from the deck of the ship. Off in the very, very, very far distance, you can see the skylands hovering over the ocean, vibrating, swirling storms of magical energy, swirling around the bases of these giant chunks of rock that are just peeking through the clouds, some a little bit lower than others. Oh, there's an interesting sight. Chin. At any time while we're traversing this bay, does there come a point where the smells of an inhabited city overcome the smells of the ocean? No. 
Okay. It's a very well taken care of city. Or the wind's blowing the other way. So, I have a question. At any point during the commotion as we're pulling into the port, you know, there's commotion going on, you know, people running around. Doing getting, sailor things. Did, yeah, yeah. Do, doing all the sailor stuff. The spyglass, is that ever put down within my vicinity? <laughs> You're fascinated by it. You've never seen anything like it. It looks neat. It's shiny and... They can see over great distances? Yeah, and the spyglass is put down next to the helm of the ship. Someone's actively driving it. And it just sits there. Nobody's using it. That's yeah. silly. Yeah, nobody's using it. Is the, the person driving the ship paying attention to it? Or? He's paying attention to driving the ship. Anybody in the area? Of, well, there's uh, a lot of people buzzing about doing things with ropes and stuff and netting and barking of orders and, and that sort of thing. But they don't seem interested in it either. I'm going to pick it up. Is that a hand? It was probably left there for you anyway. Not actively involved with using it. What's the sense? Well, right? yeah, and we're pulling to the port, so there's no point. Yeah, for you don't to need to up. look out for the island because you're here already. But you could probably use it more than they could because you know seeing far off is is important. It'll come in handy. Yeah, it's a useful tool for later. So I'm gonna pick. Yeah, it up. you could do a bunch of stuff with it. I'm gonna you're pick sure. It up. See if anybody notices me holding onto a spyglass. Do you want to just walk up and hold it? I'm just gonna walk up. I'm gonna pick it up, look at it. You know, hold it. See if anybody notices me holding it. Does anybody notice me? Nobody seems to be paying you much attention. That's good. Now I'm going to try and pocket it. Okay. Side of hand? Yeah. That is a seven. I rolled a 22 on passive perception. Uh, that's you not a roll. You don't, don't roll, roll on passive roll perception. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you pick it up and well, open up your shirt and slide it in. <clears throat> Nobody seems to notice. You don't notice anybody seeming to notice. And then the... The man at the wheel says, do you want to try to guide the boat? Sure. Come, young man. So he shows you how to drive the boat in. He's standing behind you and helping you with, with the wheel. and Pilot bring, the boat. Not drive, you pilot. Pilot, pilot yeah. <laughs> pilot the boat in. And I've never driven a boat. Neither has anyone else. They all pilot them. <laughs> <laughs> and you manage to pull it into the dock, and he rumples up the top of your hair and says, off with you now. I go off. Can our Kopi actually see over the center of the steering wheel? No. There are always crates and barrels <laughs> on boats. Or you just stand to the side. And yeah. the tall person standing behind him, he can see. I still have the spyglass. Yeah. Okay. A noticeable bulge in your shirt. You know, it's it's big. Yeah. It, spyglass is big compared to you. I mean, you're what? Three foot eight. Yeah, this thing might as well be a baseball bat <laughs> to you. But it explains why it wouldn't fit in the pocket. It's tucked into your shirt and into your pants. You know, so you're walking kind of funny. The moment that the ship pulls close enough to the dock before it ties or anything, you see Tuco, who's been looking a little more green than red for a few <laughs> days now. He's not waiting. He is hopping over the edge of the boat onto the dock and walking away. Not running, but he is done with this boat. And Ku is in a hot pursuit with a very bizarre gait. They get, tie up the ship. You're led off by Kushim, who guides you into the city and the city is a beautiful bright city a lot of multicolored canopies the buildings are painted in pinks blues teals and aqua colors there's reliefs of fish monkeys parrots and the occasional serpent there's fruit vendors fishmongers all manner of tradesmen and sailors and even some caravarans. You see a caravaran vessel there. There's uh, 
it's one of those flat-bodied river vessels that sometimes they'll take across the ocean of Prenagene, loaded with the wood from their forests. A few Prenagene ships, but mostly Perthan military vessels and fishermen. People here are very nice. They're all dressed in flowing, brightly colored robes or garments or dresses. The men and women have either long hair and dreadlocks. Men sometimes are shaved clean, wearing only a beard or a goatee or a very long mustache. And they're very friendly. They'll greet you, wave. The fruit vendor, do you accept the coin of current? Of course we do. How much for these fruits? Are you new here? I am. This is your first time in Majapur. Yes. Ah, and taste of our fruit. And come back tomorrow if you wish to have more. And then tomorrow we will negotiate price. Then I will taste the fruit. As we stroll along, Tuco says to Ku, what is wrong with your mouth? Ku, what are you, you're limping. Are you hurt? Tuco would be recognized as a person who likes to acquire things as well. And of a taller size, so we'd have bigger bags and stuff. So Ku would then take the spyglass out of his shirt and open one of Tuco's bags and just put it in there. Just like this, we're saving this for later. Tuco would laugh. Ah ha! Yo, you sneaky bastard. That's a really expensive. It's like a, push it down up, in there. Shut up, shut up, shut up. Don't it's let like it a show. magic trick. You know, he just keeps pulling this, <laughs> this thing out. This is a, as close to what you envision a tropical paradise to be. The walls of Mashapur hold the jungle at bay, but it seems like they've allowed some of the jungle in. There's palms and other exotic plants and flowers that are in front of buildings growing out of window boxes, some just planted in the middle of the street on a raised stone planter. People going about their business. It's oppressively hot. It's as though you immediately, once you get off the ship, you immediately start sweating. And there's sweat coming from everywhere. You know, that inner thigh sweat, butt sweat, just sweat everywhere. Especially for Jill, who is used to an extremely cold environment. He is sweating profusely. Shirt's coming off, shoes are coming off. Lovac will walk up and hand him half of his fruit. Here, Jill, try this. Stay hydrated. It's important to stay, keep liquids in your body all the time. Besides, this tastes kind of funny. I'll take I mean, it. I'll funny, good, it. but funny. Into them, Fragile. The name of the captain is Kushim? Kushim. Kushim. Ku will go up to Kushim and we're to meet with your queen. Yes. And then afterwards, we could peruse the city and the shops. Uh, this I do not know. You will have to negotiate the terms of your contract with the queen. I am merely a humble servant to her and your escort through the city. But it will take some time for us to walk there. We will walk slowly so you can sample some of our food. While we're walking, is there any apothecaries that we might pass? There's a great number of, of shops that he leads you to. It looks like it's, it's organized in half-circle-shaped kind of fragmented rings of these are the the docks in the mercantile area these are you know smaller shops and then housing housing and any number of different levels of wealth you know you move into there's no like slum area they seem to be pretty wealthy as a whole but there is a definite caste system that you can pick up on very easily mostly because you could tell when the people of wealth or, or power are shopping, there's always someone carrying their bags and it's not their husband or something. They have servants or, or slaves or whatever have you. 
Well, noting Jill's condition and my knowledge of herbs, I'm on the hunt for purslane, which refreshes and quenches thirst, allays heat, treats heat stroke. And good SPF too while you're at it. It'll go from blue to purple, I'm sure, in a couple days. <laughs> As he explains this, I look down and stick a finger through the hole in my shirt and go, um, where's the best tailor? Uh, we are going to go to the queen first. I do not like to keep my queen waiting. I have to go looking like this? You are fine. You and me both, Shen. Who has mending? I don't cast spells. Screwed again. He'll leads you through this bazaar. Several brightly colored tents are set up. There's kiosks, smaller shops. The architecture here is most of the buildings are made out of stone with some wood, mostly from off-island. In this bazaar, there are no beggars, am I to understand that? You don't see any. As you pass through a bazaar, there's a very noticeable gallows set up. There is a large raised platform where there's an auctioneer. They're, they're selling off any number of exotic things. There's panther cubs, monkeys, parrots, and other exotic animals, and people. There's several that are, that are lined up on there. They look like prisoners. You're not too sure if they're actually being auctioned off or if they're bound for the gallows because there's some nooses swinging behind them. Kushim stops, nudges one of the younger soldiers, and points over at a tiefling woman who's got her wrists and ankles shackled, whispers something in his ear and pats him on the back and sends him off. And you see the young soldier walk up to the man that's up there on the platform and brings him over to the woman and they start to talk in front of the tiefling. Rashim leads you off and through the bazaar onto the gates of the palace. As we walk, Tuco is asking the guards next to him, do you have regular executions? Can people watch anytime? Uh, yes, there are regular executions for criminals who perform acts of malice or theft. Do you know when the next one is? I would surely like to see this. That is grim. I do not know, uh, but sure we could find out for you if this is a spectacle you wish to watch and why do that. It is of interest to me. Please, please do find out. We are a grim company. Is there betting on how long they last? I do not wish to speak of this. Too grim of a topic. Let us go and speak with the queen. As you approach the gates to the palace, the gates open wide. There's soldiers on either side. They slam the butts of their spears several times on the cobblestones. Whoop and pass through into the palace of the kingdom of Mashapur. That's where we'll leave it for this week. Join us every other week as the Eves Watch continue their adventures in Perth. Thank you to our patrons, executive producers, Rick A., Mike Mahaney, and Jared Parker. Find us on Patreon to join the executive producers team and support the podcast. Our cast, Bill Robitaille, Louis Aponte, Frank Whedon, Jared Parker, Marcus Holt, Sin Morse, our DM, Scott, and me, Nova. Thank you, our listeners, for joining us every other week.